Hi there, listeners. We are Mackenzie and Jamie, and we are the hosts of the Made to Be Free podcast. We have conversations about pretty much everything, but we like to focus on holistic methods that will help you find real transformation and get further along on your journey to freedom. We are so glad you're here. Well, hello, everyone. We are here with another episode at the Made to Be Free podcast, and we have with us today uh, one of my favorite people, and I am not just saying this, one of my favorite people to listen to, uh, Dr. Sandy Richter. And I just want to say welcome. We are so happy you're here today. And I'm so glad to be here, and I'm also pretty stoked to, to be one of your favorite people to listen to. So, so. okay, I have to tell it. <laughs> I have to tell a very embarrassing story on myself. I don't even know if you remember this, but I think it was, I don't think it was last year. I think it was two years ago at the exiles in Babylon conference. Uh And, um, I was that really awkward person that came up to you and said, can I hug you? And I was so embarrassed afterwards. I just started laughing at myself and walked away with like a really red face. But the reason I, wanted to hug you was because the talk you gave on women in the old testament and how and and their, the, the treatment of women in the old testament i cannot tell you what that did for me for my faith in god and um answered so many unanswered questions for me that i had had for literally my entire life and so I, yeah I, i'm so glad to hear that i and i do not remember um, an awkward person <laughs> wanting to hug me. Um, Yay, you're I, do, off the hook. I do remember someone chasing me into the bathroom and trying to discuss theology while I was in oh. the more private spaces of a public bathroom. That I remember, but not this. Oh my okay. goodness. <laughs> I promise you that was not me. That wasn't are you sure, Jamie? <laughs> no, I did not do that. I would never do that. Okay. So anyway, your, your talk that day, I, I was just, um, I had, I had heard you on Preston's, um, podcast. And then, um, Mm. that day was just so life-changing for me. And I just want to say thank you, but that's what we're, that's, we're going to just dive right into. I want I want to talk a little bit about that because I felt like what you gave me that day was backstory. You gave Mm -hmm. me cultural context and it, I, and I just want to know, um, uh, well, you know what? First, tell people a little bit about who you are, because that will help okay. them understand why 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 you kind of get into this. And then um, tell us why backstory is so important when we're talking about the Word of God. Oh, goodness. Okay, so my backstory is that I've um, been a professor for the last 25 or so years. Uh, before that, I was in ministry, and I... Uh, I worked as a youth pastor, an educational pastor, a worship pastor for a while. Um, that was before I lectured my voice away. Hmm. Um, and have always been deeply invested in uh, in the church and and making the church as healthy as it can be, getting resources to the church so that the people on the front lines have what they need to do, what they're called to do. And so as an academic, I'm a little bit unusual. Um, as I'm sure your listeners are aware, sometimes, sometimes those folks who have PhDs after their name are a little inaccessible. Um, sometimes not terribly engaging in conversation um, and just struggle to get the technical matters of what we do 
into the hands of regular people. Mm. So I would say if there is a niche that I fill in the kingdom of God, that's what it is. Mm, I take wow. my technical stuff and I put it into the hands of regular people. And I never cease to be thrilled, overjoyed, and amazed at what the church can do when they're given the, you know, given the tools they need. Yes. So it's always super exciting to have that moment when uh, someone who considers them themselves not at all academic and, you know, maybe they're, they're a high school graduate and they're scared to death of air quotes, smart people for them to, you know, really get a grip mm -hmm. on this book that's been given to them. So that gives me great joy. Wow. That's awesome. I love it. And why, why are you, Oh yeah, go ahead. Why are you so passionate about helping people understand more of the context in that we uh, see in scripture? Yeah. That other question, the business of context. So one of my past colleagues, John Walton, probably a lot of your audience knows his name. Um, uh, he has has a little quote that I think is ideal, and that is that the Bible was written for you, but it was not written to you. Mm. And mm. the point the point being that the first audience audiences of the text that we carry around and call the Old and the New Testament, first of all, there are many audiences in that mix, mm. and those audiences span potentially 3,000 years. Wow. So as you think about the vast differences between um, a central hill country farmer who's just barely keeping his extended family alive, and then an empire builder like Solomon, or an exile in Babylon, or a returnee in um, the province of beyond the river in the new nation of Persia, you've got a lot of different um, scenarios going on, a lot of different types of people, a lot of different life experiences and the way they're going to engage the story of God. So the biblical text is intentionally adapting to every one of those audiences. Mm. Well, the canon is now closed. Right. So for the Bible to speak to this generation and to speak to us, you know, good, solid American suburbanites, I think we're, you know, kind of kind of of a piece there. Um, it's going to have to um, it's going to have to be uh, translated again. And by translate, I don't mean a new language, mm -hmm. but it's going to have to be translated into our circumstances. So for us. Yeah. to accurately translate that ancient text into our current situation, our current circumstances, we're going to have to mm -hmm. understand the contents mm -hmm. and the circumstances of the original audience, mm -hmm. or it's going to go right over our heads. Yes. Yeah. I actually had an experience when I was, my husband and I were in Israel in 2019 and mm. we went, to, we were out in the Judean hill country and mm. our guide started telling us, um, this story out of the Bible and telling us like, like showing us things around us and, and was, it was about farming during that time. Uh -huh. And yeah. he proceeded to talk to us about this passage. And what's fascinating was that that same passage had been used in my childhood as a way 
um, I, I grew up in a, a pretty legalistic fundamental like type of um, hmm. environment and it had been used kind of as a way as a kind of a weapon um, in, oh. in, in helping us to, you know, walk the straight and narrow and, mm-hmm. and, and more perfection. And I remember mm-hmm. like listening to this guide, tell us what this scripture actually meant and just being like, Oh, so uh, the way they use that as, as almost like a club over my head was not the oh. intention, right. Uh, it, mm-hmm. to, to the original audience, because they had a context I did not understand. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I totally get this. And I, I think what's interesting to me is that, um, I think one of the things I've had a hard time with just personally, I don't know if you've heard this before, but you know, people will say, well, the Bible should be able to speak to anyone, no matter if they have the cultural context. I don't know if you've heard that argument, like, oh, Oh. it speaks, right? Right. Well, well, I mean, and I, yes, that's true, right? Of course the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. can speak to people, but, but there are, there have been people who have used it in ways that are maybe, uh, not correct because they're not, they're not considering the cultural context. And right. so, right. yeah, well, how do we speak to that? Um, because, yeah. yeah, because one of the things that you've talked about before that I'd love for you to just touch on is, is that so many people say the Old Testament dehumanizes women. Oh, yes. Which, of course, was our topic back at Exiles yes. um, two years ago. Yes. And honestly, uh, Preston will be uh, touching on it again at this next conference. Yep. And he's buying my plane ticket, so I'm coming ah, back. Yay! And, uh, I already I'm have my ticket. I'm, I'm going to be I'll there. I'll be there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cannot wait. What 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 a fun gathering oh, of love it. warm-hearted folk who just want to figure out how to do the kingdom together. Yes. Um and this is not supposed to be a commercial for Preston Sprinkle, but <laughs> that's what I love. Uh, that's what I love about Preston is he gets yes. all these people around the table. Yep. And um, and I love getting to be a part of it. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, that that business about context, background, education, mm-hmm. and it, it is a very real issue. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the gospel should be available to every human being. Yes. And it shouldn't depend on their educational level. Yeah. It shouldn't depend on their age. Yeah. Right. Um, as uh, if you, if you're telling me that you were raised in a very conservative Christian home, you probably don't even remember your conversion story because you probably prayed it when you were three or four and and you were able to pray it when you were three or four. Whereas I prayed mine when I was 15, 16 and my husband prayed his when he was 26, 27 and and and, yeah. you know, the beat goes on. So obviously the gospel needs to be based on God's ambitions in our lives, available to every human being. But that doesn't mean that the biblical text is, it's going to be a terrible sentence, is uh, is not a complex, mm. history-bound, culturally influenced book. Yeah. And, and one of the things that I actually find really frustrating, I mean, I've got a I've got a, a Harvard PhD in Hebrew Bible, right? I gave away my childbearing years almost to, um, <laughs> you know, finish, finish my training and invested tens of thousands of dollars. And everyone thinks that they can read the Bible as well as I can. And it's, it's like, oh, um, and I'll yeah. wind up. I've got a good friend who's got a T-shirt. He's bolder than I. He's also an Old Testament um, scholar. And his 
coffee cup and his t-shirt read, do not confuse your Google search with my PhD. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. And like I said, he's bolder than I am. Yeah. But, um, so I, I do absolutely believe that any human being can pick up Psalm 91 mm -hmm. and be transformed by the message of security and, and God's deep care and the Holy Spirit can speak. Mm -hmm. And my goodness, my missionary friends, they've got folks being converted by dreams, yes. by, mm -hmm. you know, random messages that just seem to be coming out of the blue. Yeah. But for us as the people of God to sit down and study this book, mm -hmm. we need to have enough humility to recognize that there were other communities of faith mm -hmm. to whom it was originally addressed. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, um, the text becomes so much deeper, so much wiser, so much more applicable. Mm -hmm. So like if we were to circle back to that example from the Psalms, um, you know, we will hear that God is, is uh, our shield and our defender. Okay, that's great. And then we'll next bump into um, the, uh, well, well, let me put it this way. He's our shield. Hmm. How many of us have actually ever carried a shield to work? Um, maybe, you know, when we dress up for Halloween, we might show up as an Avenger or something, but honestly, I don't have a shield in my wardrobe. Nope. Um, <laughs> I not only have never been a member of the military, I am a military kid, but I never myself have been a soldier. But on top of that, um, very few soldiers carry shields anymore. And how enlightening it might be to find out what a shield looked like and what aspects of battle it was used for and who on the battlefield was privileged enough to carry one. And the fact that the average soldier, the average infantryman probably didn't have one uh, because weaponry was so expensive. And yet this psalmist is able to declare Yahweh is my shield. So even if I am not wealthy enough to carry one, mm. um, yeah, 10,000 may fall at my side, um, but I'm going to be just fine. Those, those types of things don't come out of a casual read of, of the book. Yes. That's so good. Um, I was thinking, so I, I went down kind of a rabbit hole of some of your videos, which were amazing, <laughs> and I stayed up way too late. Um, and because <laughs> Jamie, I'm been, sorry, yeah. I'm grateful. <laughs> oh, Jamie's been telling me about this for two years and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to go dig in now. And I, she, she undersold, let me tell you, she undersold it. Um, oh. I was so grateful. And to hear you say, like just hearing your background and your PhD and the, like the depth of knowledge that you have and the fact that you were able to then turn it into a seven minute video about the old Testament in a way that my, I'm a certified, would you call us like normal people? Like I'm a certified normal person <laughs> <laughs> or ordinary I so people. Glad to meet, I'm, I'm yeah. so glad to meet a certified yeah. normal person. I'm a certified normal person, right? <laughs> uh, gave, gave my life to Christ 20 years ago. I love mm. the Bible, love the word always in it. Currently doing another survey of the old Testament right now. So, Mm. And 
just being able to like condense all of that information into seven minutes. First of all, there's so much more <laughs> than than the seven minutes, but how I'm, I'm always trying to bring people back to like a place of freedom, right? And <laughs> for some reason, I was just drawn. I felt like the Lord was telling me to go back through and read the Old Testament. And so now I'm kind of surveying it and then having you on and having watched Mm -hmm. those videos. I'm like, there's, it's all coming into this like kind of crossroads for me of freedom because, Mm -hmm. and I would love to hear your take on this. People who maybe aren't valuing the old Testament as much as the gospels, um, who are, you know, want to lean more on the grace and all of that. And yet we're asking people listen to God and, and do what he's saying where is at what level of discernment can they have without really fully understanding the big story right so Mm -hmm. this is kind of where i was coming to it it's like we were told i think it's in john you know jesus was saying i've already shared everything my father has told you told me to you right but the holy spirit is coming and he's going to finish the rest and we kind of lean on this mm, for this, yep. like the Holy Spirit guiding us through our life. But where does right. act, where does real freedom come into this if we're missing a piece of the story? Hmm. You know, I, I actually hear several things in your question. And one of the things I hear in that question is something I hear a lot from my students these days. And I'm, I'm an undergraduate professor at this point. I, I've taught seminary and doctoral level at well, but right now it's, it's all, almost all undergrads. And so many of them are at Westmont College, which is where I am, um, because they come from evangelical households and they're reaching that developmental stage where they're pushing back against authority figures boy, who chooses to be a college professor? Like, why would you not? I'm just joking. <laughs> but in, in that moment, one of the things they're dealing with is um, a kind of gospel that was all don't, um, that was all judgment, mm-hmm. that was all um, criticism. I don't even want to use the word judgment. And so... I mean, I mean, we're hearing this all over the evangelical world right now yes. that, um, you know, f- folks coming out of these backgrounds feel that the God they were introduced to in their childhood is mean mm. um, and angry. Uh, and so I hear a little of that in the back of your question yeah. as well. And this business of where does grace come in? Mm-hmm. And so one of the things I do up front in my classes is, is I name that issue because every time I teach in a church setting, I'm going to have someone ask me the question, why is the God of the Old Testament so different from the God of the New Testament? Why is the God of the Old Testament so judgmental and angry and the God of the New Testament is so nice and cuddly? And my response will always be, um, Clearly, you have not yet read the Old Testament, mm. and clearly, you have not yet read the New Testament. Wow. Because at the end of the New Testament, the rider on the white horse is going to split the skies, and he's going to march on this planet to reconquer Eden for his people. And there will be an army marching behind him. 
And according to John the Revelator, the blood will run as high as the horse's bridles. Mm. Now, I'm not celebrating that moment, but I'm pointing out that the God of the New Testament is a God of judgment. And then as I teach the Old Testament over and over again, I am um, constantly pulling my students back to, hey, was there anything lacking in what God offered Adam and Eve? And they'll be like, no, but they rejected him. They're like, yeah, and he didn't annihilate them. Hmm. And then we get to the story of Noah and we go through the same story. And then we get to the story of Abraham. And how God pulls what most rabbis would say was a polytheist out of Mesopotamia and says, I'm going to start again with you. And how this story just, he just keeps pushing and pushing and pushing to redeem, restore, and rescue, even in the face of absolute rebellion. Yeah. And, you know, you, you think about the Exodus story. My goodness. He claims a nation of slaves who barely know his name. And then after he gets them across the Red Sea, the first thing they do is rebel. And when he gets them to Mount Sinai, the first thing they do is they build themselves another God because Mm. the one up on the mountain is too loud. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and this just keeps going throughout the entire wilderness experience. Um, And so as we move through the big story, um, my students, both in my college context and out and about, are like, oh, my gosh, the God of the Old Testament is so full of grace. Yeah. Like, yeah, he is. So um, I don't know how much that answers your question, but it does, uh, I yeah. think this bifurcation of judgment and grace is has been imposed by bad interpretation it hasn't actually come from the story. But I do think, Jamie, going back to your question, because we are so unfamiliar with the cultural context of the Old Testament, we saw we see a lot of mean and angry where an original reader would not have seen yeah. mean and angry. I think that's part of it, too. Yeah, I was also curious. This is a little bit aside, but um, I'm, I've, I'm also curious if you see different cultures. Um, I was raised in Africa, by the way, um, um, as a missionary kid. So I've had a lot of like cross-cultural experience and I, my, my sibling and siblings and I have talked about how differently we, we view things than just an American kid that has just grown up here their whole life. So have you seen that where certain cultures will just look at things in the Bible as like, well, that's no big deal. And then to us, it's like, wait, but no, I can't wrap, I can wrap my head around that. So my screen has frozen, but you guys can still hear me? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Then I'll just keep talking. Okay. You know, Jamie, it's so funny. As you, you started your question, I knew where you were going. <laughs> and the first thing that popped into my head is Africa. Oh. Because the traditional communities, the indigenous communities in Africa, um, do not have the sort of struggle mm-hmm. with the tribal culture of the old testament that an american suburbanite does yes and um i was teaching down in jackson mississippi for a few years in a an inner um, city seminary and 
to everyone, well, to my surprise, at least, I would teach Old Testament and sitting in front of me was a young woman from Kenya, a young man from Beijing, um, a, a, a second career fellow from um, the, the rural areas of Mississippi and, and a, a young man from Ole Miss. It was, it was oh, and I, I had a, a couple of fellows from Korea and a guy from Japan as well. It's the most mixed group of people I've ever educated. And when we started talking about tribal culture, um, my fellow from Beijing, my young woman from Kenya, my student from Japan, they're like, well, of course, mm -hmm. because that is still the way their families function. Yes. And my, you know, my Americans, on the other hand, were like, what? Um, so, yes, I do think um, uh, culture who are still very traditional find the Old Testament much more accessible and they are not as intimidated by its stories mm -hmm. either. So this is a question I have for you um, because we, we, the, our listeners, we get a lot of feedback from people who either um, felt really in bondage to something, whether it was church culture or um, maybe they grew up with a really, um, like like you had mentioned, with a certain view of God, and um, and mm -hmm. and so we try to offer um, biblical truth and help and 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 help them understand how truly free they are and how how important grace mm -hmm. is. And so I wonder, um, you know, what do you say to the people who look at the Bible as this rule book, right? Of like, oh. It's going to give me every single um, I to dot and T to cross, you know, how, how is, is that the right way to look at the Holy Scriptures? Or can you give us a little bit of a, a flyover? Like how, how would you say we should be looking at the word of God instead of mm, for maybe a lens a, of bondage, you know, as maybe a lens of grace? Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, a great question. Um, I think this circles back to what y'all had asked earlier about, um, you know, what the Bible is and um, and how to read it, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's really important for folks to realize that when they pick up the Bible, they're picking up an anthology of books, letters, poems, mm -hmm. songs, narratives, history writing, and law codes, all of which have been collected into a, a single text. So the Bible in many ways is not a book, it's mm. a library. And although we carry it around between two covers, that's what it is. So as a library, um, the average reader, I think it's incredibly helpful from the get go to realize how a lot of different sorts of genre different types of literature. And so when they open up the book of Psalms, which is so often attached to a New Testament, they're opening up the hymn book of ancient Israel. So the favorite hymns and songs and liturgies and prayers are all gonna be there. And the inquisitive reader is gonna wanna know something about worship in the temple so they can understand how this hymn book worked. Mm -hmm. uh, but if they don't realize that they're encountering a hymn book, they don't even know to ask those questions. Mm. And then uh. when they get to the epistles, 
you know, the, the, the epistles of Paul and Peter. And um, they uh, might think, um, well, who knows what they're going to think, but they're going to bump into another genre, which is a letter and a letter that's being written to a congregation in response to a letter that's already been received from that congregation. Yes. And so whoever is writing that epistle, be it James or Paul or Peter, is going to be answering specific questions. So you and I might dive into that letter, um, the book of Colossians, for example, and say, whoa, why is Paul yelling at these people about Judaizers and circumcision? And the reason is because the congregation has been asking him those questions. So we only get half the conversation. Um, that sort of insight into what you're reading, I think, has an, a tremendous impact on how you respond to what you're reading. Mm -hmm. um, and if you don't know that there have already been multiple exchanges between Paul and the church at Colossae, you might think that Paul is a nasty dude, um, as opposed to a guy who's answering questions. Um, so I think genre is really important. Um, I think being able to take all of these texts and fit them into the great story is mm -hmm. critically important. And you know this about me because you've been exposed to my stuff in the past. Mm -hmm. I don't even know how to do the Bible without talking to people about how Eden and the New Jerusalem mm -hmm. are the two great bookends in the story. That God created humanity, placed them in an idyllic setting, and not just to wander around in fig leaves and, and grow tomatoes, <laughs> but put him and her on this planet to exercise our greatest gifts. And I'll joke with my students that I, I think Adam and Eve would have reached Mars within a couple of years. And one of my pet theories is that we have an ever expanding universe because like any good parent, God wanted to constantly be presenting his children with new challenges and, and, oh, and new <laughs> territories to explore, yeah, and, mm -hmm. and conquer. Um, so this is God's original intent mm -hmm. for us. And once people get that roadmap in their head that, oh, this, this is what I was designed for. This is what God wants for me. Mm. And then they realize when they get to the end of the book, Revelation 20, 21 and 22, and they hear the language of the tree of life and the river of life and the garden and the resurrected Jerusalem and the resurrected planet and the resurrected children of Adam and Eve. And they realize, oh my gosh, these are the same place. Yeah. And so the new Jerusalem is what God wants for me. And then, of course, for me, the capstone, everything between Adam and Eve saying no and the new heavens and the new earth uh, coming down out of heaven is one huge rescue plan. Mm -hmm. And that what God is doing is throwing a rope to us in the bottom of the canyon over and over and over again, saying, please just let me pull you out of that hole. Um, I think that helps a lot. <laughs> that does it help. A lot. It does, actually. <laughs> that, that, prevents, that presents a very different vision than I think a lot of us got in our Sunday school classrooms, right? Where we just like, mm -hmm. we just, and that's nothing to say, not to, I don't think people meant to, right? But it's just sometimes mm -hmm. we were, we, 
we absorbed a different reality than now as adults. We look at it and go, oh, I can see the bigger picture. And now that we have, mm-hmm. you know, more information, I think it's really helpful. Um, Mackenzie, I have kind of hogged this whole conversation. Well, Do you have anything you want to ask? I don't. I mean, I felt like I felt well, like the answers to these questions were amazing. And I think it kind of gives people a little taste of um, kind of what we were trying to do. And let me say two things. One would be because I've spent my life training Christian workers. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons our Sunday school teachers did that to us Mm -hmm. is because that's what was done to them. They, they don't know. They don't know about the picture, big picture. Mm -hmm. So the first book I wrote for the church, the pick of Eden, a Christian entry into the old Testament. And that book is still out there, still going Mm -hmm. strong. And what it does is exactly what I just introduced, the idea that we have two great bookends on the story. And one way to organize the story is through a covenant lens Mm. that through God's efforts with Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, and Jesus, the Mm. new covenant, this is the articulation of the great rescue plan. And if books aren't your thing, I also did a video curriculum on it, and it's got the same name, the Epic of Eden, what did they call it? Um, Understanding the Old Testament. Mm. That stuff is all on seedbed. And if that isn't your gig, uh, last year at the New Room Conference, seedbed asked me to put the whole story into like a 10-minute clip or something. And um, I think I, I previewed it before it published, but it's out there somewhere. might be 12 minutes. But um, but worthy of your next weight workout when you need something to listen to. So <laughs> maybe well, that. Where is the best place for people to buy your your book, The Epic of Eden? Oh well, thank you. Um, I am an I'm an Amazon author, so okay. you could just plug my name into Amazon. Perfect. And anything that is on that scale available will come popping up. Okay. Um, so this is part of my dual identity. Uh, I do a lot of things for the guild, which Mm -hmm. are not going to probably interest your audience Uh or overwhelm your audience is what they'll do. Mm -hmm. Um, So we'll kind of put that on the side. But the other thing I do is write um, these, I I don't even want to call them popular books because honestly, uh, let's call them accessible books. Um, So Epic of Eden is is my soul on paper. And then the mm. other thing I do with that is I create curriculums. Mm. So they we started off with DVDs and videos, and now they're streaming. And um, I started off with Seedbed, and then we partnered with HarperCollins. Okay. So the next one is Deborah, um, oh. subtitled Yet to be Determined. We're still... Uh, talking about that but it will be um the the premise is the great stories think samwise gamgee at the end of the lord of the rings the great stories Mm -hmm. that have been given to us for a reason and deborah and barack and the battle of mount tabor is one of those great stories and of course what is so unusual about the story is that three of the main characters are women yes and uh Yes. The most unexpected hero in probably all of biblical literature closes down that story. And that is 
the mighty Jael or yeah. Yael, if you say it in Hebrew. Oh my gosh. A warlord with a frying pan. I mean, that's really what's going on here. <laughs> and um, in fact, when I teach when I teach it live, I use clips out of Tangled, you know, um, when uh, uh, yes. when it. when Flynn Rider climbs up in the tower and she whacks him with a frying pan and then Flynn Rider whacks the bad guy with a frying pan. It's awesome. It's perfect. OK, so that one, one of the things I just had the production meeting. Um, Harper Collins has agreed that I will do the curriculum and then there'll be a bonus lecture which will be a biblical treatment of women in leadership. And okay. that will be, yeah, that'll, that'll be a little more technical, a lecture. Um, and I've, I've given it a number of places and times over the course of my career, but this will be the cleaned up, fully produced, okay, what do you do with a high view of scripture and a very clear calling? What do you do with those two things? And uh, as I have lived and argued my entire Christian life, those two things go hand in hand, ladies. Yes. yes. High view of scripture, high view of your calling. Well, yeah. you're you're talking. I'm an ordained uh, female pastor, so you're talking. <laughs> to, you're talking. My you yes, and and yeah. I've been serving on church yes. leadership for twelve years. Yes. So we're, yes. we're there. We're both very excited to hear that. Oh, I cannot wait. Oh, it's going to be good. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, ex I'm excited to get it out there. When I was starting off in, in my calling and in my career in ministry, uh, it, if, if you made women in ministry your issue, and we're talking a while ago, mm -hmm. it was the only issue you were ever allowed to have. Oh, so true. And... Mm -hmm. Um, the need of the kingdom was too big and too broad and yeah. my wrestlings with it. And I, I, my first experiences, I was in a denomination that didn't want me. I yep. was, uh, credentialed with a group that was, you know, they did not want me. Um, mm. and it came out in many, many ways. Uh, but the Holy spirit for me mm -hmm. whispered into my ear loud and clear, you'd be really good at what you do. And I'll take care of the rest. Oh, and so he has taken care of the rest. Oh, wow. But it's um, it, it's time to offer women coming up behind um, the opportunity to continue to love and be in allegiance with their guide of faith and praxis, yes. i.e. a high view of scripture, and pursue their callings. Yes. yes. Oh, say it louder yeah, agree. for the people in the back. Wow. <laughs> oh, we are so blessed by you. Yeah. I am. I just thank you so much for spending your thank time you. with us today. And I'm going to keep watching those videos on YouTube and anywhere I can, can do it. And all yeah. of you out there listening need to do it too. Yes. Dr. Sandy Richter. Um, I just yeah, check out seedbed.com. See seed what bed. you can find there. Okay. Yeah. Seedbed. That's yeah. sure. perfect. Well, thank you so much. Yes. Have a great day. And thanks for joining us. So much fun to spend my afternoon with you wonderful ladies. Thank you. And bless you in what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this podcast, would you consider leaving us a review and sharing this with your friends? Come hang out with us on Instagram. You can find the link in the show notes.